Villainous, a Good Omens fanfiction, written by Ineffable Penguin, read aloud by Skya Simaru. If you enjoy this podfic, you can check out the original story on Archive of Our Own. If you would like to hear more of my recordings or see some of my own work, you can find me through the pen and screen name of Skya Simaru. Villainous. Chapter 22. Sunlight and Frost. My dearest crew, as you can see, I've arrived all in one piece, if somewhat harried. Ever since I set foot in the palace yesterday, people have been flapping at me constantly about one thing or another, never giving me a moment's peace. Even as I write this, there is yet another knock at my door, so I must be swift. If you can believe it, my absence was only noted during the last day of it. Fortunate, really, but I feel slightly insulted. I've already begun packing up my books, and the hardest part is deciding which ones to bring and which to leave behind. Alas, if I don't show some restraint... Your tower would be overflowing with nothing but books, and then there'd be no room for us at all. I miss you terribly. I must go for now, but I'll let you know the very moment I have any ideas or progress to report. With all my affection, Azra. Crow lifted his head from the letter and exhaled in relief, letting the tension flow out of his body, all day waiting for that stupid pigeon, for a sign that Azra was safe, and now he could finally relax a bit. He'd been a vibrating mass of alternating ecstasy and nerves ever since Azra left yesterday. He'd tried taking all that energy out on his flowers, which hadn't been as effective a distraction as he'd hoped. The color yellow had slowly but surely come to dominate his garden over the last couple of months, entirely by accident, of course, and everywhere he looked, all he saw was Azra. He'd stalked nervously through the rows of bright yellow roses, the golden tulips, the lemon-hued petunias and newly-added clay pots of daffodils, warning them in no uncertain terms that just because someone especially nice and easily impressed was coming to stay, that didn't mean that they could all start slacking off. Everything was so bloody cheery-looking that he'd quickly given up. It was like trying to threaten a room full of sunbeams. He'd spent time perusing his artifact room instead, musing over which ones he could sell for a good price to raise a bit of extra money. It would be a bit trickier without Haster to go hawk the items, but there was always a buyer's market for artifacts among the wealthy. Someone was bound to want those danger-glowing necklaces, for example, or the cloak that billowed dramatically all on its own without the need for wind. 
he would want that himself, if it hadn't been such an unfortunate shade of orange. It wouldn't hurt to offload some of the more unsettling items, too. Perhaps the creepy suit of armor could go, and the bread box, and that clear glass ball that flickered warningly red whenever anyone came too close. Damned weird sorcerers. Through it all, part of him had constantly been waiting for the other boot to drop, for Azra to be waylaid by bandits on the road, or struck by lightning, or for the letter to arrive and say, <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, but I've made a dreadful mistake. But no, all was miraculously well. Crow lounged against the window sill with another huge sigh and read the letter over again, slower this time, simply to enjoy hearing Azra's voice. It made him smile as it always had, the precise rows of neat handwriting in deep blue ink and the signature with the little twirl on the A. It wasn't as good as seeing Azra in person, but in the absence of that, it still felt like a piece of sunlight on his face. It was a welcome thing on a grey day that had not once stopped drizzling outside. It had started raining at the crack of dawn, which Crow had actually been awake to see, because that was when Haster had left as well. As promised, the old man had packed his minimal belongings the evening before and left via hired carriage first thing today, apparently as eager to be rid of him as Crow was to be rid of Haster. Crow had come out to see him off and watched the black carriage clatter away down the unpaved road with an enormous sense of relief, and only the smallest pinch of guilt. Doubtless, there would be a black-sealed letter from the council, flapping his way soon enough to chastise him, but he could deal with that when it came. The first thing he'd done after Haster's departure was march right over and change the password to the hedge. And with that, for the first time in his life, the tower was truly his, and his alone. It was the most incredible feeling, even if it did also feel rather empty without Azra. The prince had spent only a single night here, yet he'd already infected the entire place with his spirit. Crow could feel his absence a hollow space where he had been, as if he'd become a vital part of the stones themselves. However did he do that? Azra had a unique magic all his own. That was the only explanation. That emptiness wouldn't last long, though, if it was all to be believed. And Crow finally did believe it, mostly. He didn't doubt Azra's word, but it still wouldn't feel truly real until he could see him again. 
hold him and reassure himself that he was safely home. He couldn't see him yet, but at least he could write back. Crow plopped himself down at his desk, grinning, and pulled a sheet of fine white writing paper that Azra had gifted him and raven feather quill towards himself. He dipped the quill, humming. Azra, he began, as he always had, and stopped, quill poised above the page. His grin faltered. It suddenly occurred to him that he should probably write it differently now. Sure, he'd written dozens of letters to Azra before, but those were all before. Now that they were lovers, he was fairly certain that this would be considered a love letter. The very thought immediately made him break into a sweat, and he stared down at the mostly blank paper in open dismay. He didn't have the slightest clue how to write a love letter. What the hell was he supposed to write? A poem? Was that the proper thing to do? Oh, fuck. Would Azra expect that now? Shit, maybe he would. People always wrote elaborate, flowery love poems in all the plays and stories. Perfectly worded lines that bared the soul and made music of one's emotions. That idea made Crow sweat even harder, and he rubbed his damp palm along the leg of his breeches. No. Ugh, no. Writing poetry was for people with more feelings than common sense. He had no experience writing poetry either, and surely bad poetry was infinitely worse than no poetry at all. With his luck, any tortured verse he cranked out would have the opposite of intended effect and make Azra reconsider his life choices. Something in between, then. Something that made clear he cared about Azra, yet did not unleash an entire tidal wave of feeling upon him too soon. Crow sat stumped for a bit, with chin propped on his fist, glaring at the purple flowers in their glass on his desk, hoping to intimidate them into giving him inspiration. None came. Something stronger, then. He pulled the trusty decanter of red wine towards him and poured a goblet to fortify himself. He quickly downed the first one, and when no fortification was immediately forthcoming, he poured another. The words wouldn't come. He growled and ran his free hand through his hair. Ah, where do people learn to do these things? Clearly he had been reading entirely the wrong sort of books all his life, because at the moment he felt it might be easier to swallow the entire tower stone by stone than to put what he was feeling into the right words. He rubbed a hand across his face and groaned, staring one-eyed down at the paper. 
Did people just say exactly how they felt? Did anyone actually do that? Now that was living dangerously. He realized his quill tip had long since dried while he just sat here and he cursed. He quickly trimmed it with a little silver knife and dipped the quill back into the inkwell. Out with it, then. Once he began, surely it would get easier, like molasses running downhill. Momentum. Momentum was what he needed. Yeah. He took another determined swig of wine, set his jaw, and began to write. My dearest Azra. He stopped and stared at it. The words seemed to bore into his eyes, taunting. Perfect opening. If you want to frighten him screaming away. Sure, Azra had written that, but that was Azra. Just because he said things like that didn't mean it was automatically all right for Crow to say them, did it? He crumpled the paper into a ball and tossed it over his shoulder. <sighs> Best to scale it back a bit to be safe. He took another gulp of wine, obtained a fresh sheet, and tried again. Dear Azra, I had the most wonderful time with you yesterday. Cringe. Ah, and maybe next time your lordship could join me for biscuits and a nice cup of tea before intimate relations. <sighs> he scratched out the sentence with a sharp jerk of the quill, then groaned and bent over until his forehead thumped against the desk. Oh, why, he muttered to the scarred wooden surface, I'm bad at this. The desk had no reply. That paper joined its fellow on the floor, soon followed by an avalanche of others. Dearest Azra, I hope you are doing well. Oh. Azra, I was hoping that... Uh, dear Azra, how are you? I am fine. Uh. And so forth. A not insignificant amount of ink, wine, and sweat later found Crow sitting in the wreckage of his romantic aspirations, hair clenched in hand. His fingers holding the quill were spattered with black ink as was his hair, and he had another smudge streaked high across his nose and one cheekbone like a battle wound. All told, there was considerably more ink on him than on the paper, and more wine inside him than in the decanter. The quill was considerably shorter. He was more than a little tipsy. Crumpled up bits of paper were scattered all across the desk's pockmarked surface and on the floor behind him. Some were burned. He squinted blurrily at the page in front of him. It was the last page he had, so it bloody well had to be good. Dear Azra, 
I'm so glad that you're safe. I can breathe easier now, though it's too quiet around here without you. Good news, though. Hasta is gone. Yes, I fired him at long, long last. Honestly, it was a lot easier than I expected, and I wish I had done it years ago. At least you no longer need to worry about being cracked over the head when you do come here. So with that, my ability to be a good host has improved. That and the fresh chocolate cake I'm going to bake tomorrow. Yes, I'm trying to tempt you. As for your books, restraint is overrated. Bring as many as you like, and if need be, we can fill the lower six floors to the brim. I miss you too, and can't wait to see you again. Be careful and hurry back, Angel. I'll be waiting. The last lines still made him instinctively sweat and cringe. So much candor still felt risky, but he was at a loss to do better. Clearly, he was not cut out for this. If he had known he would be trying to woo a prince, he would have just kidnapped a wandering bard ages ago and kept him captive for this sort of thing. But now a new conundrum presented itself. How ought he to sign the letter? Simply Crow now felt too curt. Not love, surely, regardless what he might feel. Truly yours? Ugh, mortifying. He glared down at the page a moment longer, then belligerently scribbled always and signed his name. He quickly rolled the letter up before he could second-guess himself. He attached it to the white pigeon's leg, who had been just waiting resignedly on the perch the entire time. Then, without preamble, tossed the bird out the window into the light rain before he could change his mind. It let out an indignant squawk that sounded like an expletive and then it was flapping its way through the rain, out across the treetops. Crow nudged the cast-off letters into the fireplace and set them alight with a thought, then spent a few useful minutes pacing the floor and glancing out at the grey sky. Relax, you idiot. It'll be hours before he gets it, if even to die. You aren't going to see a response soaring towards you tonight, if ever, if it wasn't far too clingy. Shit, I shouldn't have left that line in! He resisted the impulse to fling himself out the window after the bird, or possibly just fling himself out the window. He flung himself onto his bed instead, and lay there, splayed out, spread eagle on his back fully aware that he was making a complete prat of himself and completely unable to help it. Sometimes having a vivid imagination was a massive waste of energy. His bed felt far too large and cold and empty, but Crow grabbed a handful of sheets and held it to his face, inhaling. Yes. 
It still smelled like Azra, just a tiny bit. That gave him an idea, and he went to the armoire to retrieve one of Azra's spare shirts. Now that smelled like him, smelled of parchment and flowers so strongly that Crow could almost believe he was here. He lay back down, and the bed was suddenly warm and soft as well. He could almost feel himself sink an extra inch down. Crow closed his eyes and smiled. He lay there, stretched out on his back, with one arm flung above his head, and Azra's shirt pressed to his nose, remembering those perfect soft hands, how it felt when they touched him just so. The sounds Azra had made when Crow put his mouth on him, the taste of his skin, and the way he had stiffened in his hand as he wrapped fingers around him and stroked. And Crow found that he had a use for his imagination today, after all, a much better, more pleasurable use than fretting over letters. The second half of that rainy afternoon passed much quicker than the first. Hmm. Silky red hair running through my fingers. Azra shifted his hands in his lap, smoothing a fingertip idly over the cool silk of his sleeve, feeling an echo of those tresses in the texture. He sat in his usual spot at the library bay window, book of poetry held lax in his lap. It had taken him all morning to creep away from his duties, and now that he was finally alone, he hadn't actually done a lick of reading. He just sat, gazing out over the rainy sea, and smiling to himself, remembering, watching raindrops trickle down the glass, turned molten gold in the reflected light of the sconces. Eyes like warm honey, warm and full of an intensity that had captivated him the very first time he had ever seen them. Beautiful beyond compare, and that lovely arched nose framed by high cheekbones. Azra wanted to kiss each feature over and over again until Crow loved them as much as he did. And Crow's hands! Goodness, those long, elegant fingers that so easily produced magic had also been quite deft at other things. What has you in such a good mood? Hmm? Azra blinked and was startled to find Michael standing right in front of him. Oh! How long had he been there? He cleared his throat and crossed his right leg over the other. Oh, I beg your pardon? Michael had his arms folded and was eyeing him disapprovingly. You've just been humming and smiling all over the palace these past couple days. Are you addled from your illness? Azra supposed he had been rather distracted. 
he'd weathered the storm of questions about where he'd been with nothing more than a smile and a vague, oh, you know, here and there about town, you know how it is when you're having a good time. In the end, his brothers had given up and concluded that he had simply lost track of time and spent an entire day swanning about at the local marketplace with his silly head lost in piles of dusty books. Ridiculously obtuse of them, but that was his brother's for you. They couldn't fathom a world where their little brother pulled the wool over their eyes. And for once, Azra was happy to be underestimated. But who could blame him for being distracted? He was not going to be married to Uriel after all. He was going to stay with his beautiful sorcerer and never let him go. And the future simply could not get any more heavenly than that. Fever-worn skin against my lips. Azra pulled himself back into the present with a little shake of his head. He fussed at his ruffled sleeve cuffs, wet his lips with his tongue, while he collected his thoughts. Oh, of course not. Quite the contrary. I'm finally feeling well again. You know how it is when you've been ill. I also found an excellent book at the market the other day. The food has been particularly good lately, and the weather is nice. He glanced outside, where the dreary rain was still falling. Uh, usually, all is just ship-shape with the world at the moment. He smiled and absently put a hand to the side of his neck, where that scandalous purple mark was hiding in plain sight under his shirt. Michael regarded him skeptically. It was quite a familiar look, the look of what nonsense is our eccentric little brother up to now. For once, Azra simply didn't care. He just sat there, hands folded on his knee, and smiling dreamily up at him until Michael finally became uncomfortable and went away. Good riddance. Azra resumed, gazing out the window. He also uncrossed his legs because covering that up had been growing awkward. It was a shockingly heady feeling, this new sense of courage, of not caring about what his brothers thought, almost as shocking as knowing that he was about to upend his entire life. But if anyone was worth that, it was Crow. It brought a wonderful crystal clarity to a world that had seemed so muddled before. Must not had suddenly become why not, and oh, that freedom was glorious. He held on to that feeling every time he felt a shiver of anxiety at what he had to do next. The previous week he had indeed met with Gabriel once he rose from his sickbed, the day before his mad dash south. If one could really call it a meeting, when he just sat there while Gabriel talked at him, 
pontificating on and on about the fantastic addition to their treasury and the great tracts of land they would be receiving from the marriage alliance, as if Azra cared one fig about any of that. The king had decided to set the wedding to Lady Uriel for four months hence, an improperly hurried timeline for a royal engagement, to be sure. But then, Gabriel was in something of an improper hurry, wasn't he? Those coffers weren't going to rebuild themselves, not with his brother's habit of buying every expensive artifact and gilded bauble that passed under their noses, for both themselves and their wives and mistresses. Azra rolled his eyes at the thought. They were certainly not going to be pleased to learn that he would not, in fact, be helping them offset those expenses after all, or attending the tournament, which was sure to invite questions from the guests. Ah, the Tournament of Kings, yet another event that he would be more than glad to leave behind forever. Every five years, all five of the Imperion royal families gathered together into one castle for a week of feasting, festivities, and, of course, tournaments. Boxing, sword work, jousting, spear throwing, all the staple sports of Imperion noble society, and all the things that Azra so dreaded. Every single member of each family was expected to participate, with their respective courts and retinues placing bets and drinking themselves to oblivion the entire time. Over the years, this lovely event had furnished Azra with some of his most embarrassing memories. No, he would not miss any of that once he had left. But he couldn't leave, not until he had what was sure to be a very unpleasant conversation with Gabriel, and he would, just as soon as he found a way to break the news to him, that would not cause too much turmoil. They were all adults, after all. Surely they could come to some kind of calm, rational understanding. There must be a way. He was quite certain of it, but it was eluding him at the moment. But it was hard to be too anxious about that, or anything at all, having come just a couple mornings ago from Crow's arms and his bed. <sighs> Lean corded muscle under my hands. Azra closed his eyes again, remembering it still felt like a dream, a lovely, impossible dream. And oh, that wicked mouth of crows, it sent a pleasant jolt through all the expected places just thinking about it, rippled goosebumps down his back, and made him shift his shoulders in indulgent delight. His hand crept up to his neck again, slid fingers under his collar, 
to touch the place that was still ever so slightly sore. Crow's mouth had been a surprising mix of fierce and tender that spun his head, even in the moments he had allowed himself to imagine before. Azra certainly could not have anticipated the marvelous, feverish, hot taste of him. The slight coarseness of Crow's firm jaw against skin as he devoured Azra's mouth and neck and chest. He would very much like to feel that mouth on other places as well. Crow had kissed him like... Like he's been dying to all his life. Like something out of a play. Like I'm something precious and rare. Asra sighed and leaned against the window, feeling that powerful joy swell through him. Crow made anything at all seem possible, and every time he left, a piece of that courage stayed with him, like a bite of warm sweet pudding on a cold day. When his personal butler knocked smartly on his bedroom door that afternoon, Azra's heart nearly bruised the inside of his ribs to see the black sealed letter sitting on the silver tray. The butler, a dour, rail-thin gentleman with the most spectacular posture he'd ever seen, offered it to him expressionlessly. Azra managed to take it with nothing but a calm, princely nod of thanks, then quickly shut the door and locked it. He sat down at his scrolled writing desk and eagerly unrolled the letter, fingers fumbling a bit in his haste. A minute later, he was grinning and pressing the paper to his chest, as if to absorb it, eyes closed. His ridiculous sorcerer! How he loved him! The powerful simplicity of it all stole his breath, sustained him. I love Crow. What a strange and giddy thing to admit that so freely to himself, after so long trying to lock it away. Like a kettle with the lid clamped down, it had only gained pressure, and now it felt large and strong enough to burst through steel. With Crow, he was not a faded man at all. With Crow, he felt simultaneously born anew and more himself than he ever had before, as if all the chaff had been burnt off to reveal his purest self. It made him feel fearless and daring, bordering on reckless, in a way he could never have imagined six months ago. He'd taken that first heart-stopping leap off the precipice and found that he had wings all along. Not that he could say any of that to Crow just yet, he reminded himself, because of course that would be too much too soon. He did not want to ruin this by being too much. He would have to give Crow time, time to catch up. 
He didn't want to dump all of this excessive feeling on him too quickly and frighten him off. He opened the letter again and reread that last bit, the part where Crow said he couldn't wait to see him. Smiling dreamily again, his eyes drifted upwards and latched onto the second paragraph. That dreadful old man, gone. He had only a single fuzzy memory of that man, swinging a pipe at his head, but it was still enough to make him shudder. But at least Crow was all alone in his tower now, one step safer. The primary hold-up was now, well, himself. The thought made him frown. Crow had already taken concrete steps to solving their problems, while he, Azra, just sat here in his palace, mooning away and uselessly fretting about timing. For what, exactly? The situation wasn't going to change. His spine straightened, and he braced both feet on the floor. That new boldness stirred. Hadn't Crow waited long enough? And surely, the longer he waited to say anything, the harder his defection would be on everyone around him, especially his family. And despite everything, he still felt a sharp twinge of guilt about that. The courteous, graceful thing to do was to break it to Gabriel as soon as possible, to give him time to adjust and send messages to the Elysian King long before the tournament to help him save face. And besides, the sooner he told him, the sooner he could see Crow again. Simple, really. He had only to march right in there and say... What exactly could he say? Hello, Gabriel. Nice weather, isn't it? A small thing, but I just thought you should know that I will be popping off for a bit. Uh, forever, actually. And by the way, you won't need to fuss about any wedding or even announce it, because I am in love with a sorcerer and have no intention of marrying Lady Uriel after all. He winced. Oh dear. But surely, at least, there was no need to mention who he was in love with or mention sorcerers at all. That was not one whit of anyone's business, in any case, and it would only give everyone heart palpitations and cause an uproar. No, they did not need to know about the sorcerer part. Best to omit that. <sighs> no time like the present, is there? His resolve hardened. He stood and told himself that the flutter in his stomach was simply due to hunger. Crow would surely not be nervous about something like this. Crow had endured far worse for his sake, without complaint or cowering. He was owed nothing less in return. Azra tugged his doublet firmly into place, raised his chin, and straightened his cravat with a few determined yanks, as if cinching up plate armor. Yes, 
It was time. Steady now. You can do this, he whispered to himself. He stood outside the king's private study, an intimidatingly large wooden door with oversized brass handles wrought in the shape of bird's wings. He'd been standing there for a few minutes, twisting his signet ring and ignoring the surreptitiously curious glances of the palace guards posted to either side. Azra rarely came here. Blast it! It was so very aggravating! The way Gabriel always made him feel so flustered and unsure of himself, so much like father, and much like with his father, he'd never once openly defied his brother before. He forced himself to relax his hands, to let them hang at his sides. Gabriel hated unnecessary fidgeting. He called it an immature habit. But at least this was an ideal place for an awkward and private conversation. The queen and her retinue were not allowed in this study, nor were his nephews, so they were almost sure to be uninterrupted. Not that there was much risk of that anywhere else either, of course, save for formal banquets and large events. All his in-laws lived completely separate lives from their husbands. And that was what they had been trying to arrange for him? He must have been mad to ever consider it. The thought bolstered him. He squared his shoulders, sucked in his stomach, and knocked briskly on the door. Enter, came the voice from inside. Azra stepped sideways through the door and closed it behind him. The king's study was a large, richly appointed room, round like Crow's Tower, but that was where the similarity ended. Crow's bedroom was sparse yet cozy, all smooth-worn stone and thick carpets and simple furnishings, comfortable, broken in. This room was almost oppressively opulent, where everything seemed to be in shades of either gold or brown, dark polished wood, elaborately carved paneling, and gold leaf accents, glossy leather chairs with brass buttons that looked nice but were dreadfully uncomfortable to sit on, warm amber firelight flickered from numerous brass lamps hanging from the ceiling. The walls around the periphery of the room were hung with large oil paintings in gilded frames, all depicting various scenes of sport. Men a horseback in hot pursuit of baying dappled hounds, armored swordsmen caught in mid-combat, archers with drawn longbows. The air smelled of pipe smoke and expensive sandalwood oil. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Gabriel, Azra said cheerfully, taking a few measured steps forward. His feet made no noise on the thick 
velvet carpet. It was replaced every six months, like clockwork, lest it grow even slightly worn. Uh, it's me. I know it's you, Azra. Gabriel sat at an enormous desk, the color of fine coffee, deeply engrossed with a large, elaborate model ship in front of him. A three-masted schooner, if Azra wasn't mistaken. Gabriel was in the process of attaching the bowsprit. The king prided himself a bit of a nautical enthusiast, despite having never once set foot on the deck of a ship or picked up a book on the subject. Azra idly noted that he had glued the mainmast where the mizzenmast should be. He sighed and cast his gaze around the room. To the immediate right of the desk stood a life-sized, artistically nude, yet very recognizable, sculpture of Gabriel's wife, the Queen, and Azra respectfully averted his eyes, as usual. It had always struck him as a rather boastful and obscene thing to have anywhere but a private bedroom. He wondered for the hundredth time what she thought of it, or if she even knew it was here. He knew that he would certainly be mortified to have a statue of himself in his altogether out where anyone could see it. Much more appealing was the white statue of the wrestlers in the back left side of the room, also nude with one man bent in triumph over the other. The victor was pressed flush all along behind his opponent, with arm twisted up behind his back. That statue had been there for as long as Azra could remember, his father's possession before Gabriel's. He remembered staring at it with interest as a young boy without quite understanding what made it so fascinating. Eyeing it sidelong after the week he'd had, he felt his cheeks warm a bit. Anyhow, he gave himself a little shake and refocused his attention on the reason he'd come. Oh, but he was dreadfully nervous after all. How irritating! He stood and waited hands clasped firmly behind his back, but Gabriel only kept fiddling with the model ship and didn't look up. Ahem, that's coming along well now, isn't it? Azra commented. How are you today? Very busy, as you can see. Quite. Azra took a deep breath. Listen, Gabriel, I need to speak to you about something of great importance. Later, Gabriel said impatiently. He frowned distractedly as he held a piece of triangular sail up to the ship and consulted a little labeled diagram spread out on his desk. I'm sure whatever it is can wait. No, no, I'm afraid it most definitely cannot. Is this about your little hobby again? Gabriel asked dismissively. I'm not in the mood to discuss another expansion to the library, Azra. 
We don't need any more books. He gave a firm nod and began attaching the jib where the spanker sail should go. We have far too many of the damned useless things as it is. Azra's determinedly pleasant expression faltered. Uh, no, he said as evenly as he could. Not about the library. It's rather more important than that. I assure you, this is something you will want to know as soon as possible. That foolishness about Apollyon ambassadorship, then, is it? Gabriel put in, before he could continue. You must know that it's impossible. Michael was right about that, at least. The sorcerers would never bargain in good faith. Azra pressed his lips together. He was not in the mood to hear yet another diatribe against sorcerers. He'd spent his entire life surrounded by constant comments just like these. But ever since he met Crow, it had become more and more unbearable. Hearing it always made him feel uncomfortable and ashamed at his own silence. It was a growing struggle to hold his tongue. That's not what I'm here to discuss either, he said with dogged calm. He opened his mouth again, but... Good, Gabriel said. Disgusting, unnatural creatures. The world would be better off if the whole lot of the wicked devils could be stamped out like the vermin they are. He squinted thoughtfully at his handiwork. Azra had never considered himself a man with a temper. In general, he was slow to anger. He wasn't like Crow, with his bursts of molten intensity that were more bark than bite. But now he discovered new depths as he felt himself go cold in a flash. A wintry chill turned his spine to brittle ice. His insides rhymed in frost. Had Gabriel bothered to look up, he might have been taken aback by the look on Azra's face. But Gabriel didn't look up, so he just kept talking. Ah, and good news, by the way. The Legion King has included a fine warhorse from his own stables as part of the wedding arrangement. Absolutely top class. He'd finished attaching the sail and began deftly knotting bits of rigging between the masts. A constellation of jeweled rings winked on his fingers. So you'll have no more need for that old mare. I've already lined up a buyer for after the wedding. The Elysian quartermaster needs a strong draft horse to haul supplies about the grounds. And the animal is certainly fit enough to suit after all those long journeys south. Not a total waste after all, eh? Ah, damn! He frowned at the ship as one of the masts listed over. Azra's left hand slowly closed into a fist at his side. He drew a deep, deep, chilly breath in through his nose and exhaled through his mouth. It was a surprise to see that it did not fog the air. He slid his other hand into his pocket. 
closed his fingers over the letter there, and just stood still and silent for a long moment, thinking hard. Actually, he said at last, in clipped tones, what I came to tell you is that I've decided to take another guard duty assignment tomorrow. Gabriel's fingers paused, and his violet eyes flicked up to look at him for the first time. Tomorrow? Yes. The tournament is in only a week. And this was risky with Gabriel, simply stating rather than asking. But Azra forged ahead, figuring it out as he went. Yes, but my last guard duty session was cut short by illness before it even began, you see. I feel that it would do me a great deal of good to have some time in the fresh air before the tournament, and there's no time like the present, as they say. A couple days of riding is just the thing to get myself back up to speed after a convalescence. Lying so blatantly to Gabriel's face still gave him a bit of a guilty quiver, but the memory of Crow's smile was a ball of warmth in his chest now, melting the ice and fortifying him. The letter was a friendly weight in his pocket. Huh, it seems to me that the time might be better spent in training. Oh yes, of course, but why not both? There's still plenty of time. I can go down for a few days, then come back here for the rest of the time, and train then. Diversify, you know. Even with travel, that would still leave me with a couple days before the tournament. And surely we wouldn't want to give the impression that Imperion is languishing unprotected during this time. It took all of his willpower to refrain from injecting a note of sarcasm into the last sentence. The king's eyes fixed on him again. That is true, he said at last. Very well, then. Wrap up whatever you feel you need to wrap up down there, then immediately back here to prepare for your real duties. Gabriel returned his attention to the model ship. We can't afford to waste too much time. It certainly won't be wasted, Azra said flatly. He left the room without further comment and shut the door firmly behind him. He had important things to do. End of chapter 22 Thank you for reading. Please drop by the archive and let the author know what you thought of their work.